The views expressed on The Pickleball Show are not necessarily those of the USAPA. The Pickleball Show is the official podcast of the USAPA dedicated to growing the sport of pickleball around the country. Show your support and become a USAPA member today. Visit USAPA.org. From Bainbridge Island to the Villages. Pickleball is one of the fastest growing sports in America. Buckeye to Abbotsford. Time out, baby, yeah! St. George to Rochester and all points in between. If you've heard of pickleball or you already play it, then you know. This is the Pickleball Show. This is Gail Leach, author of The Art of Pickleball, and here's the host of The Pickleball Show, Chris Allen. Live from the PBX Club Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, it's The Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen. Glad to be back. Took a couple of weeks off. Hope you had a good Labor Day. Everybody, congratulations uh, who won at TOC. Lots of great play. The videos have been coming out on YouTube, and uh, it's been very enjoyable watching those. And I'd like to uh, introduce one of our favorite guests here on the show, Mark Rennison from Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, owner and founder of Third Shot Sports. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris, I'm great. It's a treat to be here, as always. Well, always great to have you on, and these myth-busting episodes are some of the most popular, most downloaded episodes in the entire history of the Pickleball Show, so I know that uh, we'll be looking forward to busting three more myths today. I wanted to take a second, though, and uh, maybe get up on a soapbox just a tiny bit, not like a big, giant bar of soap, maybe like a little hotel soapbox, the little teeny, tiny box. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the little boxes that they have or little soaps they the, have. They use one time only box. Yeah, exactly. It's something that's been happening more and more. And uh, I've been seeing more and more close calls uh, personally and hearing about them. And that is eye protection and eye injuries. I've had a few close calls lately enough to where I've, I've thought to myself, all right, there's your warning. You know, you got nobody to blame but yourself if because, uh, you know, a ball will hit me in the in the cheekbone or it'll hit right above my eyebrow or something like that. And I'll think, all right, man, that's it. You know, a lot of people don't even get a second chance and you need to do something about it. And then just last week, a guy that I was supposed to partner up with in a tournament this weekend, he emails me and he says, hey, man, I'm out for six weeks. Ball ricocheted off my paddle and uh, burst a blood vessel in my eye. And uh, I'll, you know, look forward to seeing you on the court maybe around Thanksgiving or so. And I thought, all right, this is getting out of hand now. And I think that it's something that needs to be addressed. Uh, What have you run into, Mark, uh, in both the people that you train with Third Shot Sports and then in your playing? uh, You know, you're obviously playing at a a much higher level than I am. Are you seeing uh, maybe an influx of this kind of thing happening on court? That's a good question, Chris. It's something I know a lot of people are are struggling with and especially as the game evolves and balls are getting hit faster and the technology is allowing people to hit faster. All of these things, both how people are playing and the technology they're using to play with, in a lot of ways speeding up the game. So I think I think you're right that this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, the close calls that I've had have been the ricochet shots more than somebody hitting a ball from the other side of the net and it comes and hits me in the face. I don't really get those, but it's the ones where, oh, I got this and boom, it hits my paddle and then right into the uh, right into my yeah. cheekbone or something. Yeah, um, well, I, I hope I mean, I hope you're not getting the direct in the face ones because 
because how tall are you again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because right? like, if be that ball hitting you in the face, that is a ball that's going a mile out, and you yeah. should just dodge it. But you're right. Like all joking aside, you're right. Whether it's a ricochet off your own paddle or a ricochet um, even off your partner's paddle, you can imagine if you're both at the kitchen, mm-hmm. and you're receiving say a drive from one of your opponents. I could imagine a ball down the middle. You know, your opponent hits it, goes off the end of their paddle, straight sideways into you. Like I've seen, I've seen things like that happen before. So, and here's what I've uh, I started a, a couple of weeks ago. I started wearing some uh, racquetball glasses and they are really good. It's the Wilson InView glasses. I really like them and I'll link to uh, to it on uh, Amazon so you can see exactly the ones I'm talking about. A friend of mine named Don recommended them to me and I really like those. But I've been thinking the past few days, I thought, no, I can tell just there's a little bit of a distortion. Just they're clear lenses and maybe it's just me and I may be just imagining it, but I swear, you know, it's one of those things too where you, whenever you introduce something new into your game you blame it for every shot that you missed even though you would have missed it anyway Um, so there may be some of that where I just am now convinced that it's altering the the way I see the ball a little bit but as of today I started wearing uh, some just uh, frames without any lenses in them at all and um, I can put a pickleball up you know, into the frame and I can, I don't even have to close my eye. So the ball is not going to touch my eye and, and most of the time, and that would be a direct hit too. So I don't think I have to worry about that. So I'm trying that and that felt pretty good today. Plus you don't have to worry about the uh, fogging, you know, as you get hot and you sweat and stuff. Um, don't have to worry about that either. And these were just some little safety glasses I got at uh, our, our local home improvement store down here for $10. And I just popped the clear lenses out and uh, just or you know was left with the black frames and uh, i think i'm going to go with those for now but i would mm. i would seriously remind everybody that it just you think you got it and think nah i'm you know it's good i'm i'm not playing with you know phil bagley who's going to zing one right at me or anything so i don't have anything to worry about you know it's just it's one in a million shots sometimes and it's just a freak accident you know right off your paddle some weird ricochet or something and uh, that's all it takes so it'll be interesting seeing this year um in a couple months at nationals, I haven't seen any of the top players who don't typically wear glasses wearing anything. I haven't in the past, but, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll see. You know, I love going to these big tournaments because not only do you get to see the best players play, there's very few opportunities that you get so many pickleball players in the same place that you can literally see what trends are are developing as the year goes on. I know that uh, months ago, I think Linda Einsiedler was talking about going to the villages and Lydia uh, Willis, but I think she got married and now she has a different last name, but everybody knows Lydia in the villages, but uh, she was wearing the uh, the frameless glasses uh, down there. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds great. All right, I'm coming down off the soapbox now. And uh, <laughs> be careful. Be yeah. Careful. All right. I'll step down. There we go. All right. I'm off. And um, let's get to some myth busting. Love this stuff. These are commonly held beliefs that uh, that you, as uh, one of the top players, top coaches, one of the hottest coaches around the country, you see these things all the time in your clinics and your classes, and you just want to go ahead and uh, stick a little pin in it and pop that balloon and bust that myth, right? 
Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, I've been doing a lot of a lot of traveling lately, a lot of clinics lately, and one of the things that is really important to me as a coach is that my students don't just play well and have good strokes and whatever, but that they understand, right? They understand why they're doing one thing versus another. They understand why they might make this decision instead of some other decision. We usually dedicate a little bit of time um, just for sort of questions and answers, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're really general questions about hey, how do I practice better? And sometimes there are specific questions about uh, rules or technology or, right. or technique or whatever. All right. Now, what is the first myth that we are going to tackle today? First one I want to start with is this idea that you should always try to be moving forward to the net. And I come across this a lot. You sometimes see it online in different places that you should always be trying to go to the net. While in principle, I understand that, right? The net is sort of a power position. You oh, can take yeah. Away. I remember Coach Mo saying that if you're not at the at the uh, non-volley zone, your only job is to get to the non-volley zone. You shouldn't be thinking about winning the point or anything like that. You should just be thinking, how do I get to the non-volley zone? And only then should you think about winning the point. Right, exactly. So uh, this is a perfect example. So um, let's set up a scenario. You and your partner are serving. Uh, your opponents return. They come running into the net. You wait for that, sec- that second bounce, so you follow the two-bounce rule, and uh, you play your next shot. And you know what? You're attempting a third-shot drop. You're trying to land it in the kitchen. So as soon as you hit that ball, you start running forward to the net, just like you've been told a million times, get to the net, get to the net, get to the net. Mm-hmm. Well, as you're running forward to that net, you realize now that you've popped up your third-shot drop, and it's no longer going to be a ball that drops below the net in the kitchen, it's now a ball that your opponents are about to smash. Now, in that case, being up at the net is actually a huge disadvantage, right? You're going to wish that you're wearing the eye protection that you now have. Because you're about to eat it. Right. Because the shot that you sent didn't allow you to easily come to the net, Mm -hmm. right? You could put up a lob if you want to come running forward to the net, but you're now making yourself vulnerable. You're becoming a sitting duck if you rush to the net without thinking about the shot that you're coming in behind. You need to evaluate that third shot and determine if it was good enough for you to move forward. That's right. And so one of the things you see, and you and I have talked about this before, and we've made videos about the importance of decision making. One of the things that separates levels of players is that they're not dogmatic in their thinking. I always do this, or I always do that. What separates the top players from everyone else is their ability to make smart decisions. While yes, they might love to be at the net, they don't want to be at the net if the other person's about to pound it at them, right? So there's times where, like this would be an example of how I don't always want to run forward, right? I want to wait and see and evaluate. And you know, if you play that third shot drop successfully, so your opponent's now hitting below net level, that's the safe time to come forward to the net. But if they're receiving the ball above net level, coming in is actually a huge mistake. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, I've, I had somebody tell me a great rule of thumb that they used was if they hit a third shot and if the ball is about, you know, head height uh, on their opponent, they're going to stay back and maybe, you know, take another shot at it on the fifth shot. If it's maybe chest height, they might go in halfway. And if it's low, if it's just over the net, then they'll go ahead and commit and go all the way in. And that's a pretty good rule. Yes, but it it falls into one of the traps. We won't say this is a different myth. It's a related myth. Uh-huh. Um, but this idea that what makes a, a good third shot drop, or even a dink for that matter, but a good third shot drop is that it's low. In fact, that's not actually what's most important about a good third shot drop. If you think about it, the third shot drop, what we're doing when we hit that is 
we're trying to pre- prevent our opponents from receiving the ball above net level, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to make them have to hit upwards. Try to neutralize the opponent, give them a ball that they can't really do anything with. Right. And so what matters is not so much that it's a low shot, but that it's a short shot, that it lands short into the kitchen, right? Because then that's going to be a ball that prevents the opponents from getting the ball above net level. When you watch some of the best players, and there's that famous video of Wes Gabrielson sort of tossing the ball underhand mm-hmm. to show the motion of hitting a third yeah, shot kind drop. kind of like he's pitching a softball. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That ball doesn't go straight and stay low. It has a really pronounced arc. Right? Brian Staub has talked about the apex being on your side of the court and all mm-hmm. these things. And so one of the mistakes people often make when they try these third shot drops is they try these really straight trajectory low balls that either um, hit the net or if they hit them a bit higher, they go too far and their opponents can easily volley above the net. So really when we're hitting a third shot drop, the goal isn't so much that it's low, the goal is that it's short. And yeah, of course, you can hit it too high so that even after it lands, it, it bounces up above net level. But the real trick is, is controlling the depth of the third shot drop. The height is sort of a secondary factor. Okay. And so you, you want it shallow into the kitchen. That's right. With not much bounce on it at all. That's right. And so if you can play it short into the kitchen and not too high so it bounces up, that then forces your opponents, whether it's as a volley or off the bounce, to hit the ball upwards. And if they're in that position, now you know you can safely go to the net and take that power position, right? But if you send that ball, it's too deep, it's too high, and they're hitting from above net level, you're best off staying back and defending and looking for another opportunity to make your opponents hit up. That's a great distinction. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, a lot of people, and I think I'm guilty of this too, I think if it's low, I'm going to go. Maybe that shouldn't be the case. You need to evaluate it one step beyond that, too. Yeah, because imagine even if I, let's say I hit a a drive, a third shot drive, and it travels, I don't know, two inches over the net, so it's nice and low. Well, because it's got enough speed behind it, that ball's not going to drop very much. And by the time your opponents are making contact with it, it's still going to be an inch or an inch and a half above net level which allows them to hit down and allows them to hit fast. Mm-hmm. So in that, in that case, even though your ball was low, it's actually a dangerous um, time, strategically, for you to be coming forward. That's when you're better off to sort of wait and see. But when you can get it so that they're, it's landing shorter, they're having to hit up, that's the key to going forward. That is great. Great job. You painted a picture with words and you really made that distinction uh, stand out in my head. And uh, I think I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to keep that in mind going forward. And I can see myself already improving on my decision making as to when to go and when not to. Great. Good job. All right. Let's consider this myth busted. There we go. In the trash. <laughs> All right. Great. Yeah, I mean, between that myth and then the bonus myth that you uh, threw in there, that's like a show in itself. That's a well, myth really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> busting show in itself. Yeah. So uh, let's do this. Let's. Uh, you've got two other myths. Let's uh, come back next week and bust those as well. Okay. Sure. Sounds great. See, that's one of the many reasons why I'm so excited about Pickleball Summit coming up in Indianapolis, October fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. I mean, Mark Rennison and I are not even in the same country right now, and I'm learning this much from him. Imagine how much I'm going to learn, how much you're going to learn when we're standing on the same court together. It's going to be great. Mark will be there. Also, Rob and Jody Elliott will be there. National champions Matthew Blom, 
Gigi LaMaster, Brian Staub, they're all going to be there sharing their tips, tricks, secrets, all those things that take them to the top of the pickleball universe. They're going to share them with you. Pickleballsummit.com. Go over there right now and get your tickets. Pickleballsummit.com. I'm Chris Allen. This is the Pickleball Show. And until next week, keep them low. The Pickleball Show is brought to you by PBX Club. PBX stands for Pickleball Excellence. Join today and get the latest pickleball tips and strategies, news, and opinion. Save money on paddles and other equipment with coupon codes to online pickleball retailers. Get travel discounts to tournaments and a whole lot more. How much does it cost to become a PBX Club member? Well, it's free. Just go to freepbxclub.com. That's freepbxclub.com. There's even a link in the show notes for this episode. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.